Good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you again uh, here at Shepherd's Gate. And again, for those of you who are looking in uh, this morning online, uh, we're so uh, happy and glad that you're, that you're doing that and that you're uh, taking time to be with us and to uh, worship Jesus. Uh, whether you're uh, looking in or if you're here in the sanctuary, there's Bibles in the chairs in front of you. If you have a Bible app, that's fine. If you brought your own Bible, that's great. I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 7, 11 through 17. Uh, for those of you who are using chair Bibles, that's going to be page 863. <clears throat> that's where we're going to be headed today um, as we answer the question, who is this? Who is this Jesus uh, that we uh, believe in uh, and who died for our sins? How many of you have ever been to a high school reunion? God, you already you're laughing. <laughs> I've, now, I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because there's a part two to it. Back in the seventh grade, um, we were all assigned a day that we were supposed to give the devotion. And so my turn came to give the devotion. And I got up in front of the class, and I've got my face buried in this devotion. I'm reading this devotion. Now, remember, I'm, I'm nervous, right? I mean, I'm just like almost sick to my stomach, nervous. And I'm reading along. It's a big excuse. I'm reading along, and I'm talking, it's talking about a, a boy who's sick. And so I'm reading along, and it said, like, 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 you know, like Timmy had pee and pneumonia. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. And so I stop, and I'm, I'm like, oh, dear. <laughs> and I look over at the teacher, and he's laughing, too. And I'm like, at two, Brutus? At two? So flash forward 15 years. We go to our 10-year high school reunion. And there was somebody at that reunion who was in that room that day. <laughs> who I made that mistake. And so he comes up to me 15 years later. And he says, do you remember when you did that pee and pneumonia thing? And I'm like, really? You've been holding on to that for 15 years, you know? Like, who is this? Now, flash forward 35 years to our 50th high school reunion, which Sue and I went to a couple weeks ago. So we go to my 50th high school reunion. We walk into the, into the room, and we're standing there talking with some people, and as my classmates arrive, coming in the door, what's the first question? Who is this? <laughs> we don't recognize each other, right? And so we're asking, who is this? We're catching up on their stories and what they've been going through uh, in their life and things like that. Well, one of my classmates uh, um, had heard that I was a pastor, and so he comes over to me and he goes like, would you be willing to give the opening prayer and say a few words? And I'm like, sure, I'd be glad to do that, but in my brain, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't have any special connection to the Father than you do. Why don't you say the prayer? So we get up, we say the prayer, I say a few words, I sit down. Here it comes, part two. We're sitting there waiting for our dinner to come, right? And I feel this tap on my shoulder. I turn around, and it's one of my former classmates looks at me and goes, are you really a pastor? <laughs> and I'm like, really? You talk about your self-esteem taking a hit, you know? I'm like, I'm done. I'm done with high school reunions who is this, you know? 
And today we're going to be ask, asking that question and taking a look at who is Jesus and in light of an encounter that he had uh, with a large group of people and the mother of a boy who had died. And we're going to be taking a look at an aspect of Jesus that comes with this encounter. And to do that, we're going to be talking about his encounter with a raising of a widow's son found in Luke chapter uh, 7 again, 11 through 17. So it tells us in verse 11, it says, Soon afterward he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples uh, and a great crowd went with him. Now, first of all, this town is 20 uh, miles southwest of Capernaum. So if you kind of look on the map there, it kind of gives you an idea uh, of where this town is situated in Israel. How many of you have ever been to Israel? Anybody? Yeah, okay, so you have a very good idea uh, perhaps of what we're talking about. So Jesus uh, is uh, coming to this town, and what happens is um, he's with his disciples and a great crowd. Now, the great crowd is not the same as his disciples. These are two different groups, okay? His disciples, of course, are those who he is uh, um, uh, mentoring to uh, take on the ministry after he is ascends into heaven. The great crowd are the people who are following Jesus on account of his teachings and his miracles because they are asking the question, who is this Jesus? Who is this that's going around teaching and, and, and doing miracles? They're curious, okay? And so they're in search of that answer, who is this Jesus? So you got two different groups, okay? So now it tells us in uh, verse 12, as he drew near the gate to the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So as Jesus approaches this town, remember now he's with his disciples, he's with the great crowd that is following him, and now as they come to the town, there's a funeral procession coming out. Funeral procession coming out. And they're carrying the body, and in those days, the caskets, the tops were open. So they're carrying uh, the body out in this funeral procession, and it was a considerable crowd. So, I mean, you know, this is like I-75, you're in rush hour now, right? They've got, you got three different groups. You got the disciples, you got the great crowd that are following Jesus, and now uh, you have these people that are with um, uh, the funeral procession. Jesus sees this, okay? Jesus sees this, and um, being the only son of this widow, she now is in a position where she is going to kind of lose her security uh, in um, that culture at that time, okay? She's in danger of being left behind and, and, not, and not cared for. And so it tells us now in verse 13, it says, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Do not weep. When Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her. So the way that that reads in the original Greek, what that actually means is um, that his gut moved. His gut moved. That deep down inside of him, he was deeply moved at the sight of this, of this woman uh, who had lost her son. And knowing and fully understanding uh, what was going to happen to her now uh, in that culture that time. And the reaction that Jesus had, I think, is often the reaction that we have when we encounter people who are in need of compassion. It denotes an outpouring of mercy, okay? 
So Jesus is having this feeling of an outpouring of mercy. He said in verses 14 and 15, it tells us, then he came up and touched uh, the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being there that day? You've got this multitude of people. You've got these three different groups uh, who are coming, one coming out of the city, the crowd following Jesus, his disciples, and Jesus raises uh, this young man from the dead. And you could just imagine them standing around going like, who is this? Who is this Jesus? By Jesus raising this young man from the dead, it's an ultimate statement that he is the Messiah. That, is he, that he is the Messiah. That he is the Messiah. But they don't believe. They don't believe uh, that he is the Messiah. They believe that he is just simply a prophet, like that of Elijah. But yet we know and understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he is God, and that he has conquered death. And so, it tells us in verse 17, fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying a great prophet has risen among us, God has visited his people, and this report about him spread through the whole of Judea in all of the surrounding country. So again, they proclaim that he's a prophet. They don't believe that he's the Messiah, that it's been promised since the Garden of Eden. And so, in this account that we have of raising of this young man, we have and we see that Jesus shows compassion. Who is this Jesus? He is a God of compassion. He's a God of compassion. What is compassion? Well, a definition of compassion is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. And we see that in this case with Jesus. We see that Jesus' gut reaction, again, is to have compassion. Do we? Do we have compassion on on others when we see their need, when they are suffering from a loss or whatever they might have going on in their life, loneliness or whatever it might be, do we react the same way that Jesus does? Now, I don't have this down perfectly. Those who know me best (laughs) will let you know that, (laughs) that I don't have this down perfectly because for me, that might be true for you also, is that what I think happens sometimes is that instead of showing compassion, we show empathy. Empathy is to put our, try and put our feelings to think what we would be like if we were in that person's position. Or we show sympathy. And we do that by, with statements like, I know what you mean. Or I know how you feel. Or I am sorry for your loss. But compassion goes a step further, and that is to actually do something about it, to do something about it. And so what we read here today in in Christ's encounter with this funeral is an example for us of compassion. And Jesus certainly has had compassion on us. We read in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 
For just as we share abundantly in the suffering of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Think of a time when you were experiencing an illness or that you were going through some crisis in your life. You were suffering from loneliness, loss, job loss, whatever it might be, whatever it might be. And the compassion that you received from other people, how God stepped into your life and showed compassion, not just empathy and sympathy, but that they actually did something about it. In my life, I have had that happen to me so often. One particular time was when my father died. And the morning after he died, I got up, I went to the front door, and there on the porch was a pot of chicken soup with the newspaper, the morning newspaper. I mean, chicken soup takes care of everything, right? But somebody lovingly made a whole, remember that? A whole uh, a pot of chicken soup in uh, paper uh, on the, on the, on the uh, porch. <clears throat> Think of that time that somebody actually acted on what they were feeling for you. That's what it's like. God walks with us. He cries with us. He cares for us. He picks us up. And he's there with us each and every day. And so often it's through people. It's through people that he comes to us and he touches us. So in the presence of God of all comfort, there is encouragement in all the discouragements that we face in our life. It was out of compassion for this woman that he raised her son from the dead. We thank God that he has had compassion on us because he has taken care of our greatest need in that he went to the cross and he did that willingly and he shed his blood for you and for me because we needed to have salvation. We needed to be rescued, and we didn't even know it. He died for us so that we would have that forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. He had compassion, and he acted. He acted on our need. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, it closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but also in deed. Christ is our perfect example of what it is to show compassion. And this verse here in 1 John speaks to our mission, to impact the world with the love of Jesus. And one of the ways that we do that is that we value everyone. By valuing everyone, we can show compassion. I just want to share with you this morning some ways that we do that here at Shepherd's Gate and how you can also get involved in doing that, okay? So one of the ways that we show compassion here at Shepherd's Gate, it tells us in 1 John, again, let us not love in word and talk, but in word, um, deed and truth. So of course, there's step out and serve. Last week, we had a wonderful celebration of, of what all went on that weekend, how we as a body got together and we went out and showed compassion in the community. You heard uh, up here last week uh, that you're going to have that opportunity throughout the year to, to continue to do that because they had more requests than they could handle that weekend. Thank God for you and all you've done and for Step Out and Serve and all that went into it. But there are some other ways also here at Shepherd's Gate. One of those other ways is with our prayer team. We're reminded in 1 Timothy 
First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. The Bible tells us that those people who are in a right standing with Jesus Christ, or God the Father, who are in a right standing with him through faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their prayers have an impact. Their prayers have an impact, and God hears every single one of our prayers. He encourages us to come to him in prayer. And one of the ways that we can do that is through the prayer team. The prayer team here at Shepherd's Gate has a weekly prayer list. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it comes out every single week. There are 105, 105 individuals uh, that are on that list that receive this prayer list every day or every week. When you receive the prayer list, you are receiving the names of those on that list who have asked for encouragement, who have asked for prayer. You will encounter people who are in deep need. You'll encounter people who are suffering with cancer, who are suffering with cancer. You will encounter people who are dealing with the loss of a loved one. You'll encounter people who have suffered some sort of catastrophic loss in their life, the loss of a job. You will encounter people who uh, are in need of prayers for their loved ones who are suffering from addiction. You're gonna encounter people who are suffering from loneliness. There are people on that list that need our prayers and that need our help. And one way that you can do that is to pray for them and receive this prayer list. You can receive it by calling the church office, emailing uh, to prayer at sgatechurch.org. You can ask one of the staff people. You can go to the uh, welcoming center, the counters that are just outside this door and that door at the end of the worship service. They'll give you more information on how to do that. There are 100, again, there are 105 people that receive that list. And not just that, but we also received our urgent prayers that come in during the week that need immediate attention. I must, on my phone, I must receive four or five times a week we get emergency prayers that need to be said. People call in. Someone's had an accident or they're having surgery and they need prayer right now. Showing compassion. You can also request prayer. And you can do that, again, by going to our website, the Escape app. Again, filling it in behind the seat in, or the seat in front of you. There's a prayer request card. You can fill that out. Turn that in at the welcome centers. And then we also have our prayer partners that are available after the worship service. They're going to be in the back today. They're after every worship service. They're in the back. There's 11 of them that are trained to pray with you. And everything that you pray with them about is held in confidentiality. I know these people. I know each and every one of them. And you can be assured that's held in confidentiality. So that is available for you too. Prayer requests and prayer partners. And also, did you know, maybe you did, that in the morning we have people that show up to pray for the person who's gonna be giving the message that day, whether it be Pastor Tim, me, uh, Ben, or whoever is giving the message that day. They show up eight o'clock, they sit down with us, they pray with us, and then they pray with all of the music people, the sound, lighting, everybody that's involved in the worship service. Compassion. And then also we have, you saw in the video, the prayer program. And the different uh, things that they have, the different groups they have. They have divorce care, they have divorce care for kids, divorce care for teens, grief share boundaries, healing is a choice. They have over 20 people, volunteers, that lead those groups, showing compassion. I, the first service, I mentioned that they've got 35 people who have signed up to be part of that program this year, which starts, again, this coming Wednesday, or Thursday, I'm sorry, this coming Thursday. 
I mentioned the first service, there was 35 people signed up. Um, well, I was corrected, it's 45. <laughs> so that's good, that's good. Their pre-pandemic level was 60, so they're getting there. They're starting to come back, the care uh, program. Then we have the pastoral visitation team. These individuals here are part of, they're volunteers, and they're part of our pastoral visitation team. Um, I know uh, that Elvie uh, and Patty were in the first service. Who else is here down this morning? You guys, stand up. Let them see you in the flesh. There's flesh. There's Greg. Um, there's Albrecht. There's Sue and Tim. Anybody else am I missing? Tanya's missing. But we're, oh, Tanya. How are you, Tanya? <laughs> Those that are on the team are going to laugh at that because Tanya and I, we are always, Tanya, thank you. This is our pastoral care team. Pastoral visitation uh, team. Now what these individuals do, they volunteer to go and to visit you or members who are in need, whether they're in the hospital or they're in a nursing home or for some reason they cannot get out of the house and be in worship with us live, okay? Whether they're recovering from surgery or whatever the case might be. During the pandemic, it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge. During the pandemic, there was a time, especially at the height of the pandemic, that we could not get into the care facilities. We could not get into the hospitals. There were times I was on the phone with people whose loved one, God was getting ready to call home from COVID. They could not be with them. And what they were going through at that loss and not being able to be there was heart-wrenching, heart-wrenching. But there was compassion. There was someone to talk to because of the pastoral care team. As the restrictions started to uh, ease up, we've been able to uh, visit 33 people uh, in the last six months that have been in the hospital and having surgeries. Currently, we are working with 38, in addition to that, 38 people who are homebound and or sick and shut in or in the hospital. This pastoral care team, they. They do wonderful. During the height of the pandemic, when we were not worshiping, remember we weren't worshiping for a time uh, in person, we were strictly online. The pastoral care team was busy making phone calls and they touched the 105 households of Shepherd's Gate. Now there's more than one person sometimes in a household, there's four or five, six or whatever, but if you multiply that, how many members? So I mean they were busy doing that. We thank God for them, for the care program, for the prayer ministry, for all who are involved. Those are ways that you can get involved also in showing uh, compassion here at Shepherd's Gate. We're reminded again, let us not live in word and talk, but indeed in truth. And when, if not that, when it comes to uh, doing people who you run up against in your life, you can do simple things like invite them to go to lunch if they feel safe. You don't have to be a, a doctorate in theology or be a, in a master degree in Bible studies. It's just doing the simple things. Inviting them to go to lunch if they feel safe. Oh, here's one. If they come to your mind, there's a reason why they've come to your mind. God's put them on your mind. Pray for them. Call them. <laughs> In my 35 years of ministry, I can't count the number of times people will ask me, well, how is so-and-so? And I... <laughs> as lovingly and I, as I can respond, I'm like, I think they're doing okay. Why don't you call them? 
You are the priesthood of all believers, okay? If someone comes to your mind, call them, pray for them. That's something simple uh, that you can do. Let us not love in word, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. Of course, with the compassion that Christ has had for us, we are reminded. We're reminded of all of this in Romans chapter eight. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. It was you, it was me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for, in the, in, for us in this, that while we, we, you and me, were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ had mercy on us just as he did for that widow whose son had died. He had compassion. His gut moved. He just didn't show empathy and sympathy, but he acted on it and went to the cross for us. And there is our salvation. There is our hope.